the National Archives podcast series. Merchant Navy Operational Records, presented by Janet Dempsey. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This afternoon, we're going to find out how to research beyond the service records of individual merchant seamen and instead look at how and why the Merchant Navy became involved in operations. In addition, we're going to see what records we have at the National Archives that can bring to life both the hardship and the heroism of the Merchant Service. Okay, searching the catalogue. The Merchant Navy have been responsible for supplying Britain during many conflicts, not least the last two wars, when many hundreds of convoys made dangerous journeys through waters patrolled by enemy U-boats, warship and aircraft. In World War II alone, some 30,000-plus merchant seamen lost their lives, and 2,500 British merchant ships, amounting to 11 million tonnes, were sent to the bottom of oceans and seas across the globe. With such a huge and important role, you may think it would be quite easy to locate the operational records which Merchant Navy played such a vital part. So, let's just search the catalogue and see. And as we all know, the Merchant Records are in the Board of Trade class. Oh, one return. And it's actually Siemens pouches and not operational records at all. Okay, let's go back and we'll try and remove the BT and see what we pull up there. Oh, three records. And none of them are Merchant Navy operational records. Unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. As you see, restricting a search to Board of Trade produces just one hit, while a search on Merchant Navy operations across the whole catalogue produces just three. Unfortunately, the, the accounts of the Merchant Navy activities are spread through the records and need quite some work to find. Okay, so where do we look? Some of the more familiar records to those who have already started looking for Merchant Navy ancestors are the crew lists and agreements and possibly even the ship's logs. Crew lists give information as to who was lost on voyages. Logbooks, where they survive, can give quite detailed information about life on board ship, activity within convoys, accounts of losses um, of other shipping, and even rescue of survivors. At all times, but particularly in times of war, the Admiralty took a keen interest in merchant shipping. Therefore, one of the richest sources of Merchant Navy operational records are the Admiralty records. ADM-12 are the indexes to the Admiralty correspondence in ADM-1 and ADM-2. The Minutes and Memorandum, the um, Admiralty Office War Histories, and the Case Papers, as, as I say, the Official War Histories. BT-389, World War, ships, uh, World War II Ship Movement Cards. BT-347, World War II casualty reports um, for ship casualties. ADM-199 um, are a series of Admiralty War History cases and papers for World War II. Two very important sections for Merchant Navy. First are the convoy lists in ADM-199, pieces 2184 to 2194, which lists all the merchant vessels that took part in convoys and includes details of cargoes. 
It also records if a ship is lost or damaged. Secondly, within that series, between pieces 2130 and 2148, are reports given by survivors of lost merchant vessels to the Admiralty. Staying with Admiralty records, there are the convoy reports in ADM 237, which give a full account of the convoy and are actually catalogued by convoy number. Okay, but it doesn't end there. Foreign Office, Colonial Office and Dominions Office can often yield records concerning merchant navy operations as ships traded with foreign ports, often carried foreign troops and dealt with refugees and evacuees. War Office records detail merchant ships who were involved in carrying and evacuating troops, the ship the Lancastria being a prime example. Various classes within the Ministry of Transport section can and do give details of various merchant navy operations and as it's fairly well catalogued can be searched using the word merchant with other keywords. Air Ministry records provide details of the air coverage given to the merchant navy convoys. Customs and excise records also detail merchant navy activity, particularly when additional restrictions are in place, such as times of war. And onwards. Cabinet office records. Obviously, a government discusses merchant navy in some detail. As the principal lifeline for a country unable to produce all it needs to survive and fight a war, you would fully expect the government of the day to be taking a keen interest. And of course, don't rule out the records in Treasury, because everything needs paying for, and sometimes the Treasury takes some convincing. A word of caution, don't rule out other series as well. Merchant Navy activity was widespread and impacted on many branches of government. Okay, so we're going to take a look at some detail now. With regards to crew lists and agreements, the main classes are BT-98 and BT-99. TNA has surviving crew lists up to 1860 in BT-98 and 10% thereafter in BT-99. Celebrated ships such as the Lusitania and the Titanic are in BT-100 and can be searched on the catalogue by the name of the ship. All surviving logbooks and crew lists and agreement for the period covering World War II are at the National Archives under record series BT 380, 381 and 387. And here we have an example of a crew list and agreement and this one is for the Elliman Line ship the Aporto and this is actually in BT 381, 2426. And there you can see the level of detail that's actually given in these books. Ship's logs are often co-located with the crew lists and agreements in the series just mentioned, but there is a separate series of extracted logs in BT-165. Interestingly, this series includes the surviving logs for the period 1900 to 1902, and so covers ships carrying troops and prisoners of war to and from South Africa. As you can see from this log, from 1902, it shows Boer War prisoners of war being recorded as dying on the way back to England. 
Most logs are actually kept because they record a birth, death or sometimes even a marriage on board ship. In line with our policy of making access to the records easier, this series is currently being catalogued by ship's name, ship's number and voyage dates. ADM 12 indexes. As mentioned earlier, the Admiralty records contain a wealth of information about Merchant Navy operations. The indexes to this treasure trove are in ADM 12, and they open up access to ADM 1 and 2, the Admiralty correspondence, ADM 116, the case papers, ADM 137, the war histories, <laughs> and ADM 167, the minutes and memoranda. The example shown here is from ADM 12-1535B and it details the sinking of the Lusitania in 1915, an event infamous for being instrumental in bringing America into World War I. For the First World War period, there are two indexes for each letter range marked A and B. You will need to consult both indexes. Okay, some of the records that ADM 12 open up. The ADM 137 are the Admiralty Official War Histories for World War I. These are currently being catalogued to make access to the series much more straightforward, so you should be able to go into the catalogue and search on these records without having to use the indexes in ADM 12. They do record Merchant Navy losses in great detail, as shown here with the loss of the Houston, the Ovid and the Prophet in 1917. The next thing we're going to look at are the BT-389, the ship's movement cards. They were created after an Admiralty Order of 1939 forbade Merchant Navy vessels from recording on the crew list and agreement or ship's logs where they were bound for, or any port where they were due to stop over. The RGSS therefore started keeping cards detailing the movement of the merchant ships. These are currently arranged by groups of ships' names, but as they are currently being digitised, they will soon be available online and searchable by individual ships. This record here is the BT-389-2 movement card for the Athenia, the very first merchant vessel sunk in World War II. And as you can see there, she was sunk by submarine in, on the um, 3rd of September 1939. The reason the Athenia did not bring America into war in the same way the Lusitania had in 1915 was that the Germans just denied they ever did it. BT-347 are the casualty reports. They record ship casualties and not the names of individuals on board ship. They're accessible via an index on microfiche available in the open reading room and the information on the card leads to an original document which records the fate of the ship. The card here is for the Aporto, uh, whose crew list and agreement we saw at the beginning of this presentation, so we know that something befell her, and we'll find out a bit more later. ADM-199 convoy lists. 
The World War II official history is in ADM 199. As I mentioned earlier, there are two particular sections that are of interest to anyone looking at merchant navy operation records. ADM 199-2184-2194 are convoy lists. These records note all merchant ships that took part in convoys and are in convoy order. They do not list the Royal Navy escort vessels. And entries crossed through and not annotated means the ship was withdrawn before the convoy sailed. They are annotated when a ship is lost or withdrawn. As we can see here, this is the ADM 1992189 for convoy HX229. And you'll see quite clearly there four ships on that convoy. One is sunk, two have been torpedoed, and one is put back to Halifax. The second part of ADM 199 that I want to show you are the survivors' reports in pieces 2130 to 2148. Survivors' reports were compiled by the Admiralty and give a detailed account of the loss of the ship. They can go into great detail. There is an additional finding aid in the reading room which details the ships by name and which was compiled by a colleague in the um, maritime and transport team. This is actually the account of the sinking of the Oporto whose crew list and uh, casualty card we looked at. She actually sank in less than a minute with a loss of over 40 crew due to the fact that her cargo was cement. Okay, and this is what the survivor had to say about it. There was a very loud explosion, followed by several smaller ones, which I think must have been the boilers exploding. No one saw the track of the torpedo, and there was no flash or column of water thrown up. So basically it was all rather very sudden. Okay, additionally in the Admiralty records are the series ADM-237, which are the convoy files. They often go into great detail and contain many messages and ciphers, as well as reports, and can often actually contain copies of the survivors' reports as well. These are catalogued and arranged by convoy number, so you do need to know the convoy, um, the convoy number. This example from ADM 237151 details all the losses in the convoy OS44 and shows that the Sembilligan, the Clan Alpine and the Marcella were lost in addition to the Oporto. The operation by escorts failed to contact the U-boats of which it is considered that at least two attacked from starboard side. Okay, so we'll move on to Foreign Office, Colonial Office and Dominions Office records. Okay, so why would merchant ships be mentioned in FOCO and DO records? Well, merchant ships carried troops, foreign nationals, evacuees, refugees... Merchant ships obviously engaged in foreign trade... Merchant ships traded with foreign ports and 
Sadly, merchant ships were sunk by foreign enemy vessels. And you can see from the list here just some of the entries that you can find in the Foreign Office um, indexes. And you see here ships beginning with city being involved in evacuations, being involved in uh, carrying refugees, carrying shipments of telephones to Turkey, and um, a ship, the city of Roubaix, sunk by enemy action. Here we have an example from CO 980-233, which records the loss of Lieutenants Goldstone and Rowland on the ship the Zhang B, following a hasty and disordered retreat from Singapore. The retreat was so hasty and disordered that the ship was largely crewed by volunteers from the evacuees. And when she was bombed and sunk by the Japanese, she went down with over 350 women and children on board. Another letter from the same file shows that the captain refused to take his wife and children on board. He was so, so um, worried about the fate of his ship, and they were subsequently interned. From the Dominion's office, um, we see an example of how more loss of, child, more loss of life of child evacuees occurred when U-48 sunk the ship, the city of Benares. The ship was carrying children who were part of the Children's Overseas Reception Board, and these records can be found in DO-131. As you can see, much of this was made, at, much of this was made in the British press at the time, so it just bears out the fact it's always worth checking newspapers for news of merchant navy operations. The RMS Lancastria was sunk just off the coast of Saint-Nazaire on the 17th of June 1940, whilst evacuating both military personnel and civilians from occupied France. She was bombed from the air and sunk with a loss of life in excess of 3,000 people. Because the evacuation was carried out just ahead of the advancing German army, in fact just eight hours ahead of the advancing German army, no lists of those taken on board were ever compiled. And so after the event, investigations were carried out to determine just who could possibly have been on board. This telegram was just one of hundreds of inquiries received by the War Office about missing family. And as you can see, we have a Mr. Oliver of Wanstead actually asking if it's possible that his wife and three children were on board when she was sunk. There are thousands of telegrams like that in the same files. Moving on to Ministry of Transport, um, we actually have a fantastic file in MT23-376. And as you can see there, we have sinking of merchant vessels by German submarines, suggestions which may minimise such disasters in future. If you actually have a look on the back of your handout, the answer to it all is there. Anyone, any ideas what it is? Well, I'll tell you, it's a bell suspended on three ropes to hang over the edge of the ship. So if submarines actually come anywhere near the ship, in theory, the bell should ring and vibrate up the ropes. <laughs> 
In MT25, just two years later, MT25 slash 1, um, we have a bit more of a sensible solution to counter the World War I submarine threat, and that is the camouflaging of merchant navy vessels according to their type. And as you can see, we've got a marvellous drawer in there of a merchant navy vessel all painted up and camouflaged. The idea was that painting ships with disruptive markings rendered it harder to see from a submarine. Okay, Air Ministry. Obviously, the Royal Air Force provided cover for convoys. And by 1943, most of the North Atlantic was covered from the air from bases in Canada, Iceland and Ballykelly in Northern Ireland. This example is from the operational record books for 86 Squadron RAF, flying out of Shackleton Airfield, Ballykelly, in January 1944. Just this one page mentions six separate convoys, all of which can be cross-referenced with records that we've mentioned previously in this talk. Customs and excise records... Obviously, merchant cargoes were subject to customs and excise, as were any individual goods brought back into Britain by individual seamen. When rationing is in force, customs and excise enforce this upon shipping. And just a reminder, in January of 1944, the Allies were at war in the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Mediterranean, the Arctic, the Indian Ocean, amongst other maritime theatres. And yet, there was still a sense of proportion, as this example shows. This is from Cust 106-693, from January 1944, and details a complaint against customs by a merchant navy officer. It's a bit dark on there, but what it says is, a letter to the Daily Telegraph alleging refusal of sweet ration to Merchant Navy officers. And this file actually brings in the Ministry of Food, the Ministry of Transport, the Board of Trade, you name it. Very serious matter. Okay, Cabinet Office records. They're the official records of what the government at the time was saying. And part of this was the contentious matter was of Merchant Navy prisoners of war. They were civilians, so it was a contentious question as to whether they were prisoners of war or actually internees. This piece from Cab 2446 from 1918 deals with repatriation of merchant seamen, and you can see there that they definitely describe them as prisoners of war. Moving on to the next war, they are actually Merchant Navy prisoners of war records. And this is an example from BT373-129. And these are prisoners of war, most definitely described as prisoners of war, at Java Camp, Java. And these are some of the crew who were on the Jiang Seng who was the sister ship of the earlier mentioned ill-fated Jiang Bi. The ship was scuttled when it looked as if she would be captured by the Japanese and her crew was taken prisoner and sent to Java camp. 
if you have a look there, you can actually see for each person it gives um, what their rank was on board, who their next of kin was, and even their home address. Okay. So we move on to Treasury records. Why Treasury? The Treasury paid for Merchant Navy defensive training. Remember they're civilians, they are they are only ever trained defensively. They paid Merchant Navy wages when they were on military operations. They paid for rations on board troop ships. They paid for medical treatment abroad for injured seamen. And they also paid for honours and awards. This example from T335-47 Details awards to seamen who served on the Arctic Convoy PQ-17. This convoy was infamous for the disastrous Admiralty decision to split the convoy and separate the escorts when Tirpitz was discovered to be in the vicinity. This horrendous decision led to the loss of 25 out of 30 ships, 36 ships on the convoy, therefore, sadly, making many of the awards posthumous. So, in conclusion, you must think quite broadly about what the Merchant Navy were doing, who they were working for, and who they were working with. Thank you. This event was recorded live on the 25th of November 2008 at the National Archives Q. This podcast is copyright at the National Archives. All rights reserved.